Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Jeremy Christensen, was raised in a loving and devout Mormon home, and despite some teen years of rebellion, did find himself largely at home in the Mormon church. As he grew older, though, he began to question some of the principles of his faith. The result is his entry into full communion with the Catholic Church. The story is told in From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, a memoir of conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. Jeremy, good to make your acquaintance. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on, Al. Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, you were raised in a devout home, so your your parents were serious about uh, their faith. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we went to church every Sunday. Uh, we said morning and evening prayers together every day as a family. Um, we read the Book of Mormon every morning as a family. So, you know, very, very devout. Faith was really a center of our home life and, and still is. My parents are still um, very devout Mormons, um, and most of my siblings are as well. Mm. So you write that when you hit your teen years, you started with some rebellion. Why? <laughs> you know, that's a good question, uh, why. I, I don't know that all these years later I have um, the the best answer for it. I think it's a mix of a mix of all things of sort of uh, kind of teenage angst, not having a great outlet, um, falling in with, you know, not the best set of, yeah. of friends like other friends who who weren't necessarily, you know, really looking to be active in the LDS church. And and so, yeah, you know, I had I had some pretty rough years there as a teenager, uh, but kind of came out on the other end of that, uh, you know, through doing the things my parents had taught me, you know, reading the Book of Mormon and praying to, to know if, if it's true and if Joseph Smith was a prophet. You know, I had a an experience um, that Mormons refer to as, as receiving a testimony mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and, you know, becoming very, very convinced that uh, that it was true, yeah. um, you know, late in my high school years, just before I I left and and became a, an LDS missionary. So so you did you did go on to be a missionary. Um, I and, did. I, I uh, was in uh, the Greater Buenos Aires area in Argentina for two years. To explain this is this is critical to I think uh, to understanding Mormonism from what I've studied of it. And it's this idea of the testimony, sometimes called the burning in your bosom, this Mm -hmm. kind of self-attestation of the Book of Mormon. Um, You're not. Are you? Are you? Are you ever encouraged to investigate the origins of the Book of Mormon, or compare American archaeological sites with sites mentioned in the Book of Mormon? Or does it rest entirely on this sense that God's Holy Spirit has borne witness to your spirit that the Book of Mormon is true? You know, Al, I, I think it's it's mostly it's generally the latter, uh, and and that that it's more that people have this experience first. Mm-hmm. And then because of that experience, are pretty willing to see, you know, fairly tenuous connections yes. between, say, um, you know, ancient um, American archaeology and, 
you know, parallels between that and the, the, the peoples and characters and circumstances that are depicted in the Book of Mormon, but also to sort of overlook the, the pretty obvious lack of parallels, mm-hmm. the, you know, the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon that, that speak to things that didn't exist, um, you know, in, in pre-Columbian times. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of both, but certainly members are not encouraged to say, you know, read a scholarly historical work that is not approved by the church about, say, the, you know, the founding of Mormonism or the production of the Book of Mormon from a, from a historical perspective. When you were trained to be a missionary, um, did you learn, uh, was it your job to present Mormon doctrine? What were you trying to do? Yeah, so as a as a as a missionary, you're not given any kind of really deep Mormon theological training at all. You spend, if you're a foreign language missionary, you'll spend anywhere from uh, eight to sixteen weeks at a training center in Provo, Utah. At least that's how it was when I was there. Mostly learning the basics of a language um, around the structure of presenting you know, pretty structured set lessons that you teach to people. And Mormon missionaries are not generally going to engage in, you know, a dispute about the origins of the Book of Mormon Mm -hmm. and will pretty generally do what they're trained to do, which is to fall back on their testimony and bear testimony to you and tell you, well, I know it's true and you can know it too if you read and, and just pray and ask God. And um, and as a missionary, you you move on from people who, if if someone were to present, um, you know, claims to say, hey, I I remember this being in a in an evangelical bookstore in Argentina, uh, and a couple of, of Protestant evangelicals saying, you know, what about this this particular text in the Book of Mormon and there was a change in the text, and it seems to change the theology of the Book of Mormon. How can that be? And and really, it's more from the perspective of the Mormon missionary. You know, this person wants to be antagonistic and, yeah. and isn't ready to hear the truth, and you just you just move on. You move on, right? Right? Yeah, that's I've noticed that in my encounter with Mormon missionaries, uh, they they don't really do apologetics. Uh, they no, in fact, they're generally told not to. That the, right. this idea of you know, it, it's sort of interesting. There's a passage in the Book of Mormon where Jesus is depicted as resurrected and visiting the ancient inhabitants of the Americas and and tells them that contention is of the devil. And in some sense, that's, that's a, you know, a true principle at, at, at some level. But it is often used to sort of discourage de- sort of legitimate debate about something. And Mormon missionaries are generally taught, you know, if you get into a, a logical Bible bashing, you know, scenario, no good's going to come of it. Yeah. So you right. really just avoid that. And, and it's really, you know, at some, at some level, a way that, that those more difficult issues are, are avoided, right? Not, not discussing the, the origins of the Book of Mormon or, or various issues in early Mormon history. Mm-hmm. Look, I have some familiarity with Mormonism from study over the years, but uh, many of our listeners really don't know uh, 
mm-hmm. much about Mormonism. Uh, they've met Mormons, uh, probably have a high view uh, yeah. of the Mormon approach to the family, um, their involvement in pro-life activities. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, uh, they're in California, their fight against same-sex so-called marriage. So, mm-hmm. you know, not not ho- generally not hostility, but not much awareness of what Mormonism actually teaches as fundamental to their story. Could you give us a brief overview? Yeah. Uh, so Mormonism posits as a general matter that the things that Mormonism teaches and believes that are distinctive were taught by Jesus and his apostles, uh, but that after the death of the last of the apostles, legitimate priestly authority was lost from the earth, and the true Christian teachings were corrupted over time, and this resulted in a great apostasy, and that God restored Christ's true church to the earth, um, you know, in in a series of revelations to Joseph Smith, uh, who was a young man living in upstate New York, in beginning in, in supposedly in 1820 is when this when this starts. Part of that process was revealing to Joseph Smith where there were, were buried gold plates that had a, a record of ancient American people who had immigrated from the Middle East uh, and landed in the Americas and were and had prophecies about Christ and, and practiced Christian religion. Uh, and, you know, Joseph Smith purported to see receive a number of, of other revelations, and and the, the church is built around this idea of, of having a prophet at the head mm-hmm. who receives continuing revelation from God about what to do with the church. And in the time period, you know, where Joseph Smith had first formed the church, he re- purported to receive a lot of revelations on the true nature of God, for instance, claiming that that the Father, God the Father, was was once a man, uh, like we are, and that God the Father has a physical body of flesh and bone, and and that we existed as spirits prior to our birth, that we lived with God, and that we are in this what they call plan of salvation, where we've been sent to Earth to get a physical body for our spirit to reside in, and to by keeping God's commandments, return and become gods ourselves mm. in in heaven, and this is what they call exaltation, and then to to continue that process on into into eternity of having spirit children of your own and repeating that process of sending them to get physical bodies and come back. So this is. This is really quite different than any form of Christianity that I'm aware of. So, how was how were the early Mormons received by surrounding Christian churches and communities? Yeah. So, part of the trick there is that uh, Mormonism evolved rapidly between its official founding in 1830. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the time where Joseph Smith started to have these more esoteric kind of doctrines in the 1840s, just before he was killed. Okay. And so in the earliest time in Mormonism, and if you actually, if you read the Book of Mormon carefully, if you were to just pick it up and read it, um, 
it actually teaches a very different theology of the nature of God. It, it teaches what, what is referred to as modalism, which is a, a heresy, right. but that teaches the numerical identity of the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that teaching is sort of all throughout the Book of Mormon, and, and kind of reads like somebody who was not particularly theologically educated, who right. lived in frontier America, might think about the Trinity or try to solve the mystery of the Trinity. Yeah. Um, but they evolve. So sort of earlier on, they were much more adjacent to Christianity, but that, that changed over time okay. in, in relation to the nature of God. Jeremy, hold it there. We'll come back, continue the conversation. My guest is Jeremy Christensen. He, uh, sharing his story from uh, growing up Mormon and eventually coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and with me, Jeremy Christensen, author of From the Susquehanna to the Tiber. It's his memoir of conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. Well, when did you begin to feel... uh, as though Mormonism either wasn't meeting your spiritual needs or you began to sense contradictions in the doctrine. What what got at you first? So it, it started probably around the time that I was in law school, and there were a couple of things that I think converged, um, one of them being a, as I, I sort of detail in the book, I received a, a blessing from a uh, church leader, in which they sort of ex- extemporaneously, you know, pronounce a blessing on you in prayer. And uh, among Mormons, you know, there's there's a lot of weight put on that in, in terms of it kind of being like God talking to mm-hmm. you. And, mm-hmm. and uh, things just didn't pan out, what we could say, in terms of, of how that came across. And, and it caused a, some cognitive dissonance pretty, right. pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was sort of going on at one level, and then at another level, um, living, I was going to law school in Salt Lake City, and there was also just something in the air at that time, and this was around 2011, 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. uh, where because of the rise of the internet, um, making early sources about Mormon history really readily available, it started to have a lot of impact and there were stories of, of people leaving kind of large groups of people voluntarily leaving the LDS church, uh, over these kinds of historical concerns. There were a couple of, uh, very high profile excommunications of people who kind of prodded into these issues uh, that were reported in the New York times. So it was sort of in the air mm-hmm. and the LDS church, I think in part to, to sort of get ahead of this problem, that they realized was quite big, published a series of essays on their on their website. Quite late, was a lot of fanfare, but they were essays that that tried to kind of nuance the history uh, to provide a faithful framework for that early history, mm-hmm. but making kind of concessions that the church had not really openly made gotcha. in a very very long time. You know, sort of uh, an example would be. Uh, you know, you might hear as a kid, oh, people sort of slandered Joseph Smith as a treasure digger. And right. Yeah, he, you know, he dug some treasure once like any young kid might do. But that was that, to where the essay is like, well, you know, the, the presence of folk magic in the Northeast United States. 
for some reason or other, we're having some technical problems here. Let me see what we can do uh, to make this. We lost your clarity of your voice. So why don't you hold it uh, there? Let's get uh, let's get a hold of Jeremy, see if we can reconnect. Jeremy, you there? Okay, we're going to do our best. See, I'm not exactly certain what happened, but... Uh, Mormonism teaches. Okay, Jeremy, you back with us? I am back. Oh, good. Uh, I'll stand real. I'll stand still. Maybe maybe that was my problem. Oh, okay, I got that signal right. there. Yeah. So uh, so Joseph Smith, treasure seeker. Uh, you know, I think there was even yeah, some, some jail the, documents the, the, that show that he'd been fined for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, there, you know, there there are documents of, of court records from a trial in 1826 in, in Bainbridge, Bainbridge. yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And, uh, you know, the church started sort of admitting these things much more openly, and, and it just really caused me to think uh, and that, on a number of issues. And, and one day I just sort of had a click that said internally, if it weren't true, wouldn't you really want to know that? Yeah, and I, yeah. I sort of let myself actually think that, and and I decided to to actually sit down and study and engage, and and at the end of that process, I you know I came out uh, very very sure that um, the kind of presuppositions of my testimony were not were not true, and and I don't think I would have ever interpreted that experience as as being from God if I had known that information going in. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, did you then disengage? How did you disengage? Because your family's involved, right? Yeah, it was very complicated. So, at this point, I I married, I have four children, and my wife and my children are all very active Mormons, and my kids are being raised in the LDS Church, and, you know, I had that conversation, very difficult conversation with my wife, and... um, at, at that point, it was more, I I continued to go, but I had completely stopped believing. Yeah. I, I helped take the kids. You know, Mormon Church at the time was a three-hour block of meetings on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I would help take the kids and wrangle them, and and I, I would just tell church leaders, like, don't put me in any position where I would ever have to teach anything. And, mm-hmm. But but as time went on, you know, that, that became more and more difficult as my children got got older, and as I would hear things get taught at church that I knew were not true or incorrect, and, you know, that was a very frustrating and, and difficult um, time, and, and really it was a dark time internally, spiritually, because while I still believed in God in a very kind of vague sense, uh, but, you know, I had my, sort of my whole world pulled out from under me. Yeah. Yeah. is what it felt like. It was so very, so very you, hadn't, time. you hadn't been attracted by uh, the Catholic faith at that point? No. I, I very distinctly remember my wife asking me in some of these early conversations, once I had kind of dropped the bomb on her, are, are you going to join another church? And I said, no, no. I, I, I had no, no intention or, or really desire uh, to mm-hmm. look at or join any other, yeah. any other church. So what what finally opened the door uh, to the Catholic faith? So when um, 
I was sort of going through this process for some time of, of thinking if there was a way I could, I could have my own eclectic version of Mormon belief. That's gotcha. just my own sort sure. of cafeteria style. Yep. Um, and I stumbled across uh, writings I'd never heard of, uh, let alone read, which were the, the apostolic fathers and the church fathers more generally. Hmm. And I thought that was very interesting. And, and I, and I, I bought a copy of the church fathers and I thought, well, I'll read these earliest ones and see what things I might pick and choose from what early Christians believed that might fit my own, you know, sensibilities. Sure. And wasn't expecting, was not investigating Catholicism or anything like that. I just picked up the fathers and, and started reading them chronologically. And it did not take very long for me to to feel very uncomfortable because uh, the, I, there was just such a prominent theme that um, I was very shocked that these people were Catholic. I wasn't quite sure what I was expecting, but, <laughs> but that's what I got. Did, did, that, did you conclude that there had been no great apostasy? Well, I certainly had come in saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to be skeptical about the claim which is you know ultimately a theological claim that there's been a great apostasy right. and i imagine that early christian history was you know uh, like any kind of history pretty messy and in, in some sense it it is uh, so i wasn't going looking to prove or disprove any apostasy i was more like realizing i didn't really know anything about early christianity <laughs> I, I was at a at a lunch one time in this period and a friend of mine who's who's now a very dear friend uh who's a faithful catholic had, he was asking me some questions about Mormonism, and he said, oh, so it's, it's kind of like Arianism, how, how you conceive of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And I said, I don't even, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, sure. and so, yeah, it was this sort of discovery of, of the, the world of early Christian history that, that I had really not known anything about. Um, so did you, did you find support for, for your spiritual hunger uh, somewhere? I mean, uh, the, the idea of the forgiveness of sins, or, you know, where do you go to for confession, or what was on your mind? That was definitely on my mind, and I think was a was an issue that, that drove me in some way of just realizing I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I don't, I don't, I don't quite know or, or understand how to make sense of my relationship with God. Um, and and so in that process, I started, you know, I studied, I, I was very intellectually suspicious um, and, and sort of wanted to be sure of certain things in my mind. Mm -hmm. But once I had kind of cleared that hurdle, I started attending um, I was a, after about a year, and I went to a Catholic Mass. I'd never been to, to a Mass before. And it, it uh, happened to be the extraordinary form of the Mass, the mm -hmm. traditional Latin Mass. And I was just just blown away by the beauty of Catholic liturgy. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it just really sort of transported me in a way, and I think helped move, you know, the other the other part of us that the uh, of our will that that needs to be involved in order to to consent to propositions of the faith and. Mm -hmm. um, you know that that sort of encounter discovery yeah. uh, with beauty was was pretty important. Yeah. Um, and do you begin re at some point you 
become familiar with John Henry Newman. I don't know how much you've read of him, but yeah, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so I, as I'm sort of going through this, and I started to decide I'm going to really think about Catholicism and think about its early history and study it, uh, I, I started to read um, John Henry Newman. I read his essay on the development of Christian doctrine, which yeah. he began while he was still Anglican, mm-hmm. uh, and and was just extremely moved and impressed by the intellectual rigor and the sophistication yeah. of yeah. his treatment of of early Christian history, yeah. and and being able to think maturely about the faith and its history, and um, you know his properly understood you know his his theory of development mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. was very um interesting to me in helping me to sort of make sense of you know because as i read the church fathers as an outsider i said these people look really catholic not everything you know there are lots of things in the church fathers that get taught that are that are not you know catholic right. catholic doctrine uh, they they're not perfect and but you see this sort of movement this pattern but to hear John Henry Newman kind of explicated in that famous analogy of of the the identity between the acorn and, and the, the oak tree. Oak. Yeah, uh, it's very important. You know, that was very important to me too as I was coming into the church. Yeah, yeah. This sort of it's it's uh, it's the natural outgrowth yep. of the revelation uh, uh, that God gave us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's it's the the Catholic Church is just this natural unfolding of that and you know that was very very important to me did you have uh we've got about 90 seconds left did, did you have any problem because of the uh sexual abuse uh issues in the catholic church uh it certainly you know that 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 really came to the forefront uh, uh in the summer of 2018 and that was certainly a difficulty for me mm-hmm. uh, but having sort of read my way in yeah some of the you know, you become very familiar with the difficulties the church has faced over yeah. over many many centuries, and, and this too shall pass. <laughs> when were you received in full communion? I, I was baptized on uh, November the fourth, twenty eighteen. So just over four oh, years ago. Okay, and uh, it's, uh, well, uh, the music's coming up, but uh, how's the family doing? They are all good, and I'm happy to report, uh, you can read the book, they're all now Catholic as well. Okay, all right. (laughs) Jeremy, thanks. Wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much, Al. God bless. Jeremy Christensen, From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, A Memoir of Conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church.